0: listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Neenum, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome to I Might Be Wrong. I have Henry with me. This is uh, an impromptu I Might Be Wrong because of circumstances. How are you doing, sir? Uh, uh,
1: Yes, I'm well. Actually, you know what? I'm really well because I've got a week off. Um, I've taken some time off work, so I'm staring at nine days of, or eight and a half days of Of happiness and light and sitting on the sofa and uh, catching up on some
0: films and things so yeah I'm I'm in a good place how about you excellent yeah yeah I'm good Um, we had originally planned to record with a guest uh, yesterday but Henry had out of hours work things that, that dragged him away so we are going to record that hopefully this coming week so we'll have we'll have a couple of guest episodes coming up shortly I think yeah, definitely looking forward to them. Yeah. And uh yeah, damn you work. But uh
1: anyway, should we should we jump into <laughs> yeah. it? Um I you think should you were gonna well, we were gonna talk about the guest album and then you were gonna talk about an album that's another huge one which you wanted some more time on. So, your backup
0: is actually quite a big album for a backup. What have you chosen? Well, yeah, I mean, backup seems harsh. It's an album that I know really well, so I figured, oh, it'd be really easy. I'd just talk about the album for a bit, you know, we'll have a bit of chat about the rest of their back catalogue, which is immense, and, you know, we'll be done in, like, 25 minutes. And then I realised that there's some serious shit that we need to get into. So, I have picked Feeder and... After umming and Ring for quite a while about which album to go with, I decided Echo Park was probably the one that I had to focus on. Excellent choice. Thank you. It's it's not the only one that was in the running. I had Comfort and Sound and Yesterday Went Too Soon were also right, right up there for me. But I think this one has just about edged it in terms of the number of tracks that I particularly love and just the consistent quality throughout. Yeah. I think that's a, a pretty fair shout. And it's interesting you
1: talk about quality. Um, we'll get into the band in a second, but I think talking or listening to some of their interviews, they really like yesterday went too soon. But um, but I think, yeah, in terms of song, good kind of high quality sound, uh, Echo Park's the way to
0: go. Yeah. Talking
1: of that, tell us about the band. Yes.
0: So Feeder are a Welsh indie rock band from Newport who formed in 1994, although it says they are formed in Newport it feels like there's a bit of toing and throwing on this because they actually really met in London properly and and got together in London so what happened was they had an earlier incarnation under the name of Real that was formed in 92 by Grant Nicholas who's the vocalist guitarist writes all the lyrics plays piano all that kind of stuff drummer John Lee and bassist Simon Blight. Blight left Real in 92 and then in 94 once Nicholas and Lee were living up in London and not actually in bands at that point uh, they met Taka Hirose and decided on the name Feeder to to actually be the proper band and the proper band name now there's there's an allegation that Feeder is <laughs> was the name of uh, Nicholas's pet goldfish He says of that story, I don't know if this is strictly true. That's probably some press story made up to make it sound more interesting. I did have a fish as a kid, though. We thought the name fitted in with the kind of names that were popular at the time, like the Breeders and Sleeper.
1: Yeah, I heard that too. I heard that the Goldfish was a spurious rumor, and the feeder thing was part because the name looked cool written down, as you say, and in line with those other bands, Mm -hmm. and also because of a fishing float called a something feeder and i think he liked the name of it just like the sound so yeah i yeah I, i think the goldfish is a
0: is a cheeky rumor from a tabloid quite possibly so the band's gone through some changes since then the serious moment that we'll have to come on to later that i mentioned is that drummer john lee sadly died in miami in 2002 basically it was called a suicide there are suggestions that he may have accidentally overdosed no one really knows the details of course with these things there's always speculation the band took a bit of a hiatus for a while and then got together with skunk and Nancy drummer mark richardson who was part of the band for about seven or eight years until 2009 when he returned to Skunk and Nancy when they reformed. And FIDA have since then worked with a number of drummers live and in the studio. So they haven't really settled on on a replacement, it seems. Yeah. So it's really just Grant and Taka as the, the core of the band. They are. And it's it's sort of interesting to hear how they work together. So Grant really is the creative driving force. And it sounds like up until his death, John Lee was the sort of sounding board and the guy who would drive Nicholas to be more creative and to do more with the music that he'd written. Whereas Taka seems to take a bit more of a backseat. Nowadays, or in the later albums, uh, Nicholas would write music and then once he'd got something that was reasonably formed, would send it to Taka, who would then play around with bass lines and things to fit with it. Yeah, yeah that, makes, that makes sense. So, from a musical sound perspective, while they kind of appeared in that mid, mid-90s, mid I guess, mid to late 90s period where you've got a lot of Britpop bands still kicking around, they're not a Britpop band. I remember actually thinking that they were an American band because of their sound. Yeah. Because they have very much slotted in with Foo Fighters those kind of American rock bands, that that's that sort of sound. They do have a mid-Atlantic sound, don't they? And early on, I think
1: when they were touring Polythene, they went to the States and toured like 40 states. They, they did most of America. And I think that's really where they got, not famous, but they got a lot of traction there. And right, it must have helped shape their sound to, to some extent. But you're right. I read an interview where they were saying that because they weren't a Britpop band, they kind of had to try even harder because all the Britpop bands were being bought onto record labels really quickly. And because they weren't, I think they started off with an EP. I think it was a Swim EP. Um, swim, yeah. Yeah, and just to kind of test test the water. Da, well and from that, they started to uh, get some traction.
0: Yeah, Swim wasn't when I found them. I I probably came to them one and a half albums in because I sort of think of Swim as half an album. There are things from that that ended up on Polythene, so I think of the two of them together. I think you got into them around Polythene, whereas I heard a couple of tracks from Polythene and liked it, but I didn't get into them properly until I hit, yes, they went too soon. And they got a lot of airplay. They got uh, XFM play quite a bit, and so I thought of, them and Foo Fighters are sort of stable mates-ish in terms of how they sounded. Yeah. But they've got a huge range of influences. So Nicholas talks about everything from the Pumpkins, Rage Against the Machine and Nirvana through to the Beatles, Neil Young and Fleetwood Mac. He says, I grew up, listening to a lot of melodic stuff like Tom Petty, Neil Young, Fleetwood Mac, Simon and Garfunkel, Nick Drake. I was into that before I was into the heavier stuff, but then I got into punk rock, 70s rock and Black Sabbath. Yeah, and and don't forget their first single, which was
1: High, or the first one that really took off, There's a ballad. It's not really a rock song, right? and I think he knew that it was going to work, and he originally wanted to record it, just with an acoustic guitar and some strings, but then it built into a bigger song than that.
0: Yeah, and it's a, it's a great tune for, for a track of a debut album. It's a really, really wonderful song. We should come back to that when we talk about the tracks in a bit more depth. But yeah, so he talks about the fact that he wanted to be in a band from the age of 10. He actually just wanted to be a guitarist, didn't really think of himself as a singer or a front man. But it happened because apparently he was doing back, backing vocals for a local group and the singer kept losing his voice, so he kept stepping in and deputising for that.
1: I didn't know that. Okay, so he even though he's the front man now, he didn't really want to be in that
0: in those shoots. Yeah, I get the impression that in his in his teens he was doing a lot of, you know, that kind of garage band type stuff Got that it. a lot of a lot of kids were doing in the nineties. And so as part of that, he wasn't really doing lead vocals except when he had to. Makes sense. (laughs) Because his mate couldn't carry on (laughs) sounds like Uh, but then moving up to London they talk about the fact that London was a big culture shock because they'd spent a lot of time in Cardiff and Bristol which are big cities but I mean I moved from London back to Bristol and the the shock of coming back from such a vast metropolis to something like Bristol suddenly you think Bristol feels more like A little mini town than a city it's not it's big it's a big city for the uk but yeah they they talk about the fact that he got a job by knocking on the door of a studio in queens park and saying oh i've come from south wales and i'm trying to get a job in a studio and one of the owners said come on in i really like wales and gave him a job (laughs) and he was there for a few years before feeder really took off easiest interview ever yeah yeah exactly we should talk about john lee because it's such an important part of of the feeder story. So you have these first three albums, which are big, rocky, brash, loud, fun, bouncy albums. They, they can always do a rock ballad, but most of their stuff is written in a way that kind of pushes you into bouncing around when you see them live, and you and I have both seen them live. But there's almost a maturity that came in Comfort in sound that wasn't there before. So what happened was, after John Lee died, Nicholas was obviously devastated and and Tacker. But Nicholas being the creative writing part of that, so I read an article in songwriting magazine where he was talking about Comfort and Sound, the single rather than the album. He said it's really hard to think back, but I remember we'd almost finished the album. I was working with Gil Norton we co-produced Comfort and Sound together and I didn't know what we were going to do because everything just stopped when John passed away I was like all of these years working together and then getting to a point where we were starting to get Big with Echo Park, we were finally starting to make it and then it suddenly stopped and we're like, what do we do now? And the shot with John could have gone either way. I could have just given up on music, but instead I locked myself away in a little demo studio in North London with an engineer. I think I gave him a nervous breakdown because the songs just poured out of me. I was inspired and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was drinking too much, working crazy hours, not really eating, just totally on this mission to put songs down. And basically after he'd done all of that, Just The Way I'm Feeling kind of came in late. He said to Gil, I've got this new song. It's called Just The Way I'm Feeling. And he goes, I don't think we need it. I think we've covered that side. I was like, I've got a good feeling about this track. I really think we've got to do it. And it went from there. And he talks about the fact that the song's really about the importance of friends and family when you're going through a hard time. And the fact that it's it's what really dragged him through it. John was such a bundle of energy of life and real personality within the band, an incredible drummer, and it didn't make any sense. And it was sort of how all of your connections with your family and a friend are what really helped with that. Yeah.
1: He's also said that, I guess, from John's personality, sounds like he was, I think, hellraiser is probably the wrong word, but he was a bit of a party animal. And so that original energy that you hear in all the first three albums where they don't really let too much go to waste it's always pretty full on from Comfort and Sound onwards they do have that that more kind of melodic approach a bit more mellow
0: and his drumming is is amazing like I keep going back to this kind of Foo Fighters Dave Grohl connection but how hard he hits the drums puts me in mind of Dave Grohl Dave Grohl's like the hardest I've ever seen someone hit the drums but John Lee feels like he was up there in terms of just that pure strength in his drumming. Yeah, there is there is an energy which um,
1: y- you miss. And I think in some of the interviews with Grant, he said, actually, some of the later drummers have been fantastic. They, he doesn't want to kind of talk them down. But I guess when you have not just a talented musician, but, you know, your, your friend who you've right. gone through all this with there's just going to be a part of you missing, whether it's, you know, even if the the sound of the drums is still just
0: as good with another drummer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, you can't really imagine, It's it's bad enough as fans, right? So I remember when this happened, just being absolutely gutted when I found out about it. And we've seen this probably more recently over the last few years with a number of really big, musicians, stars, whatever, passing away. Bowie's the obvious example, right? The number of people that were just absolutely devastated by his death, people that had never met the guy. But you connect with the music in a way where it feels like you know that person and they know you because of the connection that you have in that way. I mean, there was a weird thing around that with people sort of mocking people who were really sad about Bowie's death. Like, you didn't know the guy, whatever. But you... You do, in a way, you sort of know a person through their music, to an extent. That's really, it's a really interesting way of putting it. So, I mean,
1: recently, The Fountains of Wayne, the guy who wrote their music, Adam Schlesinger, he died of COVID. And that was right in the middle of when COVID was really bad. And that really just took the bottom out of my, my week. Like Things were going bad anyway, because everyone was starting to get locked down. And then when they announced his death... That was, for someone who's been such a part of my musical brain right. for decades, when when they disappear, you're like,
0: damn, you know, it is it is a genuine loss. It's like losing a mate. I mean, we both felt this over Scott Hutchison of Frightened Rabbit. Still not sure we're going to make it through that episode.
1: <sighs> no, that that
0: one's actually, well, that's really too close to home for the moment, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and for me, I had a really weird one when I was still living in London. I don't know if you remember this. The Cranberries lead singer, Dolores Arriden, she passed away from what appeared to be an overdose. And I remember hearing the news on a commuter train going home to South London and just being in in floods of tears. And And I wasn't even a massive Cranberries fan. It's just that there were specific songs that were such an integral part of my teenage life, like Zombie and that voice was so powerful and so vibrant and alive that you just it just hits you so hard totally well let's let's go back a year
1: back into sunnier times um an echo park which is the album that uh, yes.
0: that you picked out how did you find it how did you come across it so this is an XFM find for me this was back when XFM were good and used to play the shit that they liked and the shit they wanted to play and fuck single releases and all that kind of stuff so they played I mean, we all heard Buck Rogers to death, and I love Buck Rogers, and I will defend it defend it to the death. I actually found them through yesterday, went too soon first, and the, the tracks off there, but then my interest in them peaked much more with Echo Park. You know, enemy gave it two and a half stars. Really? yeah, which goes to show as always. There are a fucking bunch of idiots <laughs> who
1: hate fun. Good, good on enemy. Yeah, I, I came across it in I was in Sydney. I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast. It was in an HMV in Sydney, actually, and and I think I got to Buck Rogers, which I hadn't heard. I hadn't heard any of the album, right? And I, I was halfway through the um, the song and just stopped playing
0: and ran up to the cashier's desk and <laughs> yeah. take my money, and <laughs> absolutely bought it, and that was that. Yeah, just to just to be clear, Drowned in Sound gave it eight out of ten. Like it wasn't universally panned. It's just enemy being idiots, but it's it sort of has a bit of a weird thing on that front. There is a bit of mocking dislike for feeder and for their sound. And I think it's partly because it's very accessible. It's very, uh, popularly melodic. Do you know the backstory to
1: Buck Rogers? I do. Cause I think actually that's quite interesting and it's not, I mean, you were saying you were defending it to the death, but it sounds like Grant himself doesn't actually really defend it. Knowing the backstory
0: yeah well okay what happened was he was invited to write a song for an american band called sr 71 who no one remembers anymore i'm sure they've got their fans out there somewhere but i have no idea who they are i only know of them because of jj 72 who were the irish really
1: did you ever come across them yeah i
0: remember jj 72
1: and then and then i saw this other american band and it's like who are they but they weren't as good
0: anyway carry on so they were in London recording and apparently really, really needed a single. And he says the lyrics were inspired by an on-again, off-again girlfriend who at the time was keeping company with a man who made adverts for cars. And he wrote, basically wrote the couplet, he's got a brand new car, looks like a Jaguar. And the whole thing was he just wrote a load of lyrics that were like, these sound like they fit the music. Yeah, and assumed that the band would take those and replace them with their own lyrics. And then they presented the song at the Crip Studio to sr 71 and everyone else was like, this is a hit record. <laughs> and apparently Echo were like, um, this is ours. You're keeping that. That's going on the album. You're not giving that away. That's right, because I think he recorded it
1: with just putting mumbling words in as a half-filled, half-filled song. And, and I think the, the girl that he talks about in that, and he was singing about, is his now wife. So oh, really? they split up. They were together. And then she started seeing this other guy. So he wrote this thing and mentioned her, I guess, probably a little bit bitter. But anyway, they're now back together. So there's a
0: there's a happy story at the nice. end of that one. I didn't know that. The, the article I read suggested she was just some at-the-time girlfriend rather than someone who turned into it being his wife. So I saw his in, an
1: interview with him and he said they'd... They'd split up, they'd just had some time apart, and she was seeing this other guy. And then, uh, yeah, then they, they got back together. But the lyrics, he apparently tried to re-record the song and rewrite the song with lyrics that he thought were appropriate. Hmm. And it was Gil Norton, again, who you mentioned from Covered Sound. And he said, no, 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 you're keeping those original lyrics and drinking cider <laughs> from a Eleven and all of that stuff. Yeah. In the interview I saw, he was saying that it could be drinking cider from Eleven. And he wasn't really sure at the time, but that almost makes more sense. Um,
0: so anyway. <laughs> yeah, it there, makes there's... more sense. The, the thing about this song is that bassline, guitar harmony intro is just so instantly recognizable. It's it's absolutely wonderful. And there's a sense of pop sensibility that echoes things like Nevermind Mind." It sounds more like a fooze track than Nirvana in terms of its aggressiveness, like it's medium aggressive rather than full on in your face. But a- apparently he was attempting to write a Pixies-esque track, which doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. That's what people need to do. If you want to write a, a hit hit record, Nirvana did it, Feeder did it. You try and write a Pixies song, you'll get a hit. <laughs> Here we go. Let's, let's do it, Rich. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I think we're a bit old to be rock stars, mate. Yeah, I think so. I love, I love Buck Rogers. It's been played to death on the radio, it's been played to death in so many different places, but I had listen to it on repeat all day long and not get bored of it.
1: Yeah, I, I don't care that the lyrics are silly. I mean, we talked about Song 2 with Blur, which is almost like a stablemate, and it's right. crazy, silly lyrics, but a short piece of brilliant music writing and that is enough.
0: I think the chorus holds it together. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Blur, Oasis as well for nonsense lyrics that make no sense but sound good. But the chorus of I think we're going to make it. Yeah. That I yes. think holds the whole thing together and the, the 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 upbeat positivity of this song is such a thing throughout Feeder's work and even in Comfort in Sound which is a deeply sad album there's still... Plenty of this sense of positivity and things are gonna be okay. 100% comfort in sound, it, it does have a positive edge to it. Yeah. And yeah. So, what's next? What's on the album? What other good songs stand out? Well, you say, What's next? I've got to go one back. Standing on the Edge is great. I love it as an opening to the album. The the gravel crunch, crunch, crunch footsteps. And then, What's this bit? Or a oh, normal <laughs> bit. And then the guitars kick in. It just. It is such a brilliant start to an album, and it makes me smile every time I hear it. And that's the thing about Feeder; they make you smile, and that's why I love them. Yes, I
1: love the way they can put something that sounds so silly on the front of a a song, in front of their whole album. Bands that yeah. do that just just well. Done. There there are a few few examples, and, and this is a, a really good one where. Uh, a band introduces themselves
0: with a little bit of comedy it always makes me think of festivals as well for some reason I'm sure it probably isn't that in real life and I couldn't find out anything about it in the time that we had for research but for me it's always that thing of wandering into the wrong bit of a festival and being like oh shit we're in the wrong bit we need to go over that way but it's probably because I have a massive festival connection with them in terms of live I've seen them a lot and at festivals has been a big part of that so for me yeah. it puts me in a festival mindset just listening to that because for me it's when it's the lyric about when you're all by yourself standing on the edge of
1: the world this is when nice. i was in the southern hemisphere on my own just traveling by myself on a bus with a load of randoms and so instant connection from the very first song
0: it's like yeah this is for almost written for me on my on my bus traveling around amazing so the other thing for me here is that this demonstrates them doing the take a breath for a second and then go thing in a song. And again, it's another thing that Foos do really well. You think about the intro to Monkey Wrench, where it's that big build up and then a bar pause and then it launches.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Parallels with
0: the Foos are just all over the place with their music. Absolutely. And I know people will see some of Feeder's stuff as just like, oh, they're sort of just like the Foos, but not as big and not as famous. They're really accomplished, and I don't think anyone's going to complain about having that level of rock accomplishment.
1: Yeah, I think the lyrics are slightly more... I I don't want to call them
0: simple, but they are are quite simple, aren't they? I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't necessarily think you have to write deep, complex lyrics to write good lyrics. Sometimes just having lyrics that sound good are good enough.
1: So prime example like in 7 days in the sun he starts off with i've got a friend her name is Laura and it just sounds a little bit like he hasn't really put much effort into it but then a couple of lines later he says we sat and watched the moon as crickets sang back cover tunes what an ace line how cool <laughs> is that yeah. line
0: he's just n- a great nailed line. it
1: and yeah so it, that that slight lightheartedness can go both ways i guess
0: yeah, I'm glad you brought up Seven Days in the Sun because I love the drumming on this. It's just immense, particularly the bit where you're entering the chorus, where it's all this kind of hazy, guitarzy stuff going on, and then this just pounding percussion tears through everything and launches stuff forward. Yeah, particularly the toms and the snares in here. I love that combination. Yeah,
1: I'm a I'm a big fan of this song, and again, after the first few songs in the album
0: this comes on it yeah. you know, it's just more more good stuff we should skip to the end because i'm going to want to talk a lot about the rest of their back catalogue i love satellite news on here it's a big gorgeous anthemic rock ballad and uh, the lyric i want to lift myself up to the sky i want to leave it all just for a while just just wonderful yeah well I think they just consistently do this, don't they? And
1: and this is something about Feeder which you kind of just hinted on, which is that all the way through, right up until the present day, they have the ability to produce an absolutely fantastic pop song. And and this is another one. And yeah, wh- whichever album we're going to talk about, you can 100% guarantee that somewhere in there, there'll be an absolute belter of a song lying around, even if it's not as good as this whole album is. They they put it off and you're right, Satellite News
0: is one of those songs that can do that. Absolutely. Well, talking of belters on albums, let's jump back to polythene. Tell us about High, because I know this is one of one of your favorite, probably your favourite feeder track?
1: Well uh, it's definitely the one that got me into them. It's hugely influential, not just in the feeder world, and it wasn't on an album that I had had, so I didn't buy the album. I couldn't find the album, so my local record shop, I couldn't get hold of it. So I should have asked them to order it in thinking about (laughs) it. But but it meant that I had the song in my head, but I couldn't get hold of the record for about a year. And knowing that a song's out there, you don't get this nowadays, but knowing that there's a song there, which you've probably heard played on the radio a few times, and you can't listen to it's quite a powerful thing. And so when you finally do get to it, you kind of have that connection and you don't want to let it go. And so for me, High had that probably more so, than, more so than
0: most songs is really one which I, I wanted for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Like you, I'd heard it on the radio a bit. I don't know that I had quite the same connection to it. I liked it and I still do. It's still a, a really wonderful, wonderful track. The other two tracks off here that I really like are Stereo World, which was actually recorded for Swim, but then included here. That's that's a brilliant early track, and Tangerine, which is a brilliant bouncy rock track with that really aggressive guitar that feels like a template for later feeder.
1: Yeah, I, I like this whole album. Actually, I think it's, but well, it's not underrated because it's 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 pretty well known. But I I like the way that it's quite raw and yeah. it's not recorded
0: in a really big studio, and it sounds that way. It feels like a bit i'm gonna compare them to them again uh nirvana's bleach it's got that rawness it doesn't necessarily have the same level of brilliant melodies that the second and third albums from those bands had but it it's got a lot of that raw i'm guessing late teenage early 20s energy that you get
1: yeah it's a bit like the early smashing pumpkins albums it kind of reminded me of that when i was listening to them and um it's a bit more kind of dirty guitars in a way
0: yeah yesterday went too soon is the album that i really found them in insomnia is just such a belter of a grunge rock track every time i listen to this so you can see but our listeners can't my hair is a fucking state right now and it's because (laughs) i've put insomnia on several times today and it immediately makes me mosh all over the place well, to be fair, I think most people in the country, if not the
1: world, who, who are unable to access hairdressers at the moment are in a similar place. But I I agree with you. It's an absolutely fantastic song. I, I would go for Day In, Day Out as my um okay. highlight on this album.
0: Love it. Interesting. I mean, I yeah. like it. It's the drumming. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like it, but it wasn't one that I'd picked out. I, I love Yes, They Went Too Soon. It almost feels like Oasis at their indie rock anthemic best.
1: Yeah, and they're quoted as saying... A lot of Oasis fans are feeder fans. And, it, and again, Oasis, they do have that kind of sound that's much more American than, than rip Britpop in a way. So that makes sense too.
0: Yeah. well, oh, It's got all the guitars. It's got all the strings in there. It's that classic sound that they've got. And Waiting for Changes is my other one that I really like. It's just grungy shouting. Yeah. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Comfort and sound we should talk about because it was probably their their last really, really great album for a while. Uh, So this was 2002, as we mentioned, written right in the aftermath of of John Lee's Suicide. It's incredibly bittersweet, but as I said before, it's also got an incredible wave of positivity just, just in there, kind of buoying everything up. It could easily have been an indulgent, wallowing album and there would have been nothing wrong with that but it's not it's really clean sounding i think
1: well produced quieter songs like "Charlie," and you which i think they talk about as being one that really hits home in the after john lee's death Yep. that one in particular i think they've been quoted as saying that one really almost was not quite written about him but really focuses on that type of loss whereas the rest of the album is a bit more a bit more kind of not about suicide it's more about loss in general
0: yeah yeah and the big one from this album just the way i'm feeling which for me Amazing. feels like wonderwall for the Naughties generation good shout actually thanks it's got a similar vibe with the guitar and the strings and the the lyrics of you feel the moment's gone too soon you're watching clouds come over you torn into you close your eyes for someplace new it's this anthemic thanks to all the friends and the family that supported him and Tacker after the suicide
1: Probably one of my favourite feeder
0: songs, actually. The,
1: oh, it's incredible! The chorus, the the little harmonies that go on in the in the background through the chorus, is definitely one of those. I'm not sure a gig if it would really hit home there, but I think listening at home on a pair of speakers, it's just yeah, phew, it's emotional, right?
0: Yeah, that and comfort and sound, which probably isn't their most original track, but it's such a raw and emotional tribute to that period of recovery after tragedy yeah it's a big one i
1: love pollution right at the end that's that's a little little favorite of mine
0: yeah that's a great one
1: Helium's good yeah it's a really really good well-rounded album and i think if you'd picked it i think many feeder fans would probably think yeah that's a great shout
0: yeah come back around as well we should mention it's got this toms and guitars thing it's upbeat and it's really positive you think about the circumstances and you listen to this track it's it's incredibly positive sounding for for what's going on in his in his head at that time,
1: yeah absolutely,
0: yeah, so that that as an album is again it's it's just an incredible listen, and as you say, a lot of people would rate this as their best, I think Nicholas himself has said that the circumstances pushed his songwriting to a to a different level than what it had been at before, and you can hear that in this yeah there's a maturity in there isn't there that wasn't there in the earlier albums yeah there's also a suggestion that they might do a 20th anniversary tour next year for this so if they do i might be buying tickets for that (laughs) let's get on it and you might be coming with (laughs) pushing the senses it's okay it's a it's an all right album um i didn't pick anything out of this particularly as amazing i this and the next couple albums didn't really grab me. I don't know if any of them particularly grabbed you. So
1: I I don't want to go too far into the future, but but really the, the next set of albums all the way through to the most recent one didn't really grab me. Again, I mentioned it earlier, they've all got a cracking song floating around on there somewhere, but yeah. it's almost uh, it almost sounds like if you'd halved the number of albums they'd put out, and just taking the best ofs out of all of those, then maybe it would have sounded better. But I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of of many of them. But then floating around in there, there are some cracking little songs. So
0: how about you? Did you listen to many of them? I didn't listen to most of them, but Tallulah is their most recent album, came out in 2019. And I hadn't really listened to it properly until earlier today and i stuck it on just to be like see see what they've been doing it's really great it's not anything groundbreaking spectacularly new but it's it's really good
1: it's definitely their best album since comfort and sound Mm. uh it's it's right up there actually i i think there's songs like daily habit brilliant brilliant pop song absolutely brilliant pop song i love daily habit and the whole album is just—it's great. Um, the first, the first five, six tracks on there, you can go through, and it's a really well-made album. And yeah, I'm a big fan of this. And it, when it came out, I started listening to it, and I'm actually glad you did this podcast because I—it had gone into my back catalogue. I'd not thought about it for a while, and I'm—I'm I'm listening again because it's great.
0: Yeah, I—I I totally agree with you on the the opening few tracks on here just fantastic. Youth and daily habit to me, both have echoes of tracks like High and Buck Rogers in them. They're not rip-offs of their own work, but there's definitely that vibe and energy that, that's come back. Yeah. The, the other one that I love is Lonely Hollow Days. It's just a wonderful little feeder ballad, and they do ballads so well.
1: Yeah, exactly. This album is definitely worth checking out. If you've lost track of feeder, and and I did, mm-hmm. don't ignore this album. Definitely worth listening to. Yep. Yep, Absolutely. Uh, we should do the live chat, shouldn't we? Well, yeah, I was going to say, was it you that pestered me to buy the tickets? I can't remember. Well, we saw them,
0: we saw them at university, I think. We did. It wasn't the first time I'd seen them. Oh, really? But it was, I think, the first time I'd seen them as their own gig. Got it. So I'd seen them at a number of festivals. I'm going to talk about one of those performances in particular. But they've got such a place in my heart for the early formative part of my live music side of my of my music-loving personality, which is they were one of the big names on the bill at V2000. And so I saw them there, and they blew me away. I had so much fun. They're a band that I love listening to their music, but they're a different level live. There's just so much energy when you see them live. Yeah, agree. And I think the gig, well... The- the gig that we went to
1: just summed that all up yeah
0: was that the first time you'd seen them live
1: yeah first time okay i think i've seen them once since at a festival but it wasn't as good because it was more of a
0: festival vibe but yeah that one gig that we saw i can't remember where it was in bristol somewhere i think it was at the well it was then the colston hall it's now the bristol beacon and it was a slightly weird gig i don't know whether you remember this but i remember coming into the gig and the way the colston hall set up is it's i guess similar to the Brixton Academy and places like that, where you've got the downstairs area is all standing, and then you've got seating upstairs behind on a balcony. Yeah. But the 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 setup at the Bristol Beacon is that they had seating underneath the balcony at the back as well. And I remember coming in, and there was just us and a whole bunch of other kids our age, kids a bit younger. But there's all these parents at the back sitting in the seats, oh, waiting point. for their kids.
1: Yes. And it was like this is. Really, this is a bit odd. Yeah, I I do remember that it was a it was a weird setup. Great gig though.
0: Oh yeah, I was going to say once they got going, I didn't give a shit
1: about that. Yeah, my <laughs> my dad saw Hendrix in the Colston Hall. Nice. That's um that's pretty cool. But yeah, they they do have a really good live um live act. So yeah, any
0: other gigs that you've been to or festivals that you've seen them at? So bands that I've seen live. There's Doves, and then there's the next tier of bands where I've seen them coming up to like maybe. High single digits, low double digits kind of numbers of times. And Feeder are one of those bands. The thing that comes to mind when I think about seeing them live is I saw them at Leeds Festival, and it was a set of gigs. They played Newport, they played Reading and Leeds, and these were their comeback gigs after John Lee had died. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there was an energy about those gigs before they even got started. And we arrived they were playing in the other stage so i don't know if you've ever been to reading or leeds no so the setups there are they had or they were back in the day they had the main stage which was a big like you know glastonbury big open air stage the other stage was always in a tent big big massive tent but in a tent and so we arrive in this tent and We are like, we don't want to be right at the front because there's going to be a big crush. So we'll be maybe like 15, 20 rows of people back from the front. Yeah. So we'll be in the mosh pit. That's the idea. We want to bounce around in the mosh pit. I have never got so close to feeling like I was going to pass out from getting crushed during a live set. Really? Wow. When it got going, we were in the crush and the mosh pit was like eight to ten rows back from where we were. (laughs) Wow. It was it was unreal. I was there with my friend Mark you've met, Mark yeah one of my old school friends. I've known him for years. Uh a friend of ours called Simon, who was another of the old school crew, and one of their friends who I hadn't met her before the festival. I don't think I hung out with her again afterwards, but she was like tiny, maybe five foot one, and Simon and Mark were both Well over six foot, six foot two, six foot three, each of them, and so we spent a lot of the set just trying to make sure she didn't get a punctured lung. We were basically for the opening part of that set, we were boosting people around us out of the crowd so that they could surf forward and get out because people were literally on the verge of passing out for large chunks of the opening bit of that set. Wow, wow! And I mean, I was, I was at the point where I'm like, I think, I think I'm going to have to do that. I think, like, I was. On the verge of it, I looked up the set list FM set list for this to find out what had come in because I got this memory of what had happened. So they opened with We Can't Rewind, which is poppy, but it builds and builds and builds. Then they played Insomnia, and the whole place went fucking (laughs) ballistic. They followed that with Godzilla. Uh, which is obviously massive grungy guitars and heavy drums and then they got to come back around which is again big bouncy track with a huge chorus and everyone's jumping up and down and then at the point where i was like i might have to get out of here they played just the way i'm feeling and that everything just relaxed and calmed and the 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 crush eased a bit and then it was fine for the rest of the gig but there was that moment of like Holy shit! I'm not sure I can breathe properly here. And and you know what it's like when you're at a feeder gig and everyone's bouncing around. Literally, the whole crowd was moving together in one big bouncing mass, and you could feel hot air just whooshing past your body on the way up as everyone was coming back down again. Yeah, been there. It's a yeah, slightly stinky feeling, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> Absolutely amazing. But I mean, they were in floods of tears for large chunks of the set. Wow. Yeah, I. I've I've not been to a gig where
1: there's been emotion in the fans in the crowd as well as yeah energy yeah so that must have been a weird one
0: oh it was it was one of the most searingly memorable things I've ever seen live yeah just just amazing uh, other fun feeder live fact apparently they gave Muse their first tour I'm gutted I didn't get to see that really wow okay that must have been it would have been around what like 9798. Yeah, maybe a bit later. Cool. Well, good on them. And another quick quote from Nicholas that I found where he talks about bands and touring uh and and just again, it's another thing. He he just seems like a nice positive friendly guy from everything you see and everything you read. He just comes across as like just a nice. Maybe he's the Welsh Dave Grohl. Maybe that's why they've <laughs> well, got this link with the foods. Yeah. Well, um, but, but
1: before you mention it, he was the interviews I've seen early feeder. They're very shy and they're really withdrawn and they're kind of they're not comfortable in front of media. And if you look at interviews now, as of like this year, he's really really relaxed and he's just in control of himself. And it's a lovely way to see. And he's he's as you say he's a he's a happy guy Well, he's um. Yeah, he's a positive guy and
0: so yeah it's good to see well you mentioned that them all being shy apparently when he first met taka taka had only been over from japan for like months rather than years and could barely speak any english <laughs> I don't know. it's like you think like trying to do media when you barely speak the language must be bizarre yeah and i think he still
1: struggles i watched an interview
0: from last year
1: and he kind of wants to say something and then he's like grant Help me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder whether they switch roles out in Japan because they're huge yeah. over in Japan, and obviously Taka being Japanese, I assume he's the boss there. A lot of the time, he's the one talking in those kind of interviews. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. yeah. So, so Grant said. There's so many good bands. I've got mates in bands and mates who manage them, so I get bombarded with music all the time. I try to give them all support slots, and our manager hates me for it because it makes it even harder for him, but it's good for the bands. I remember what it was like for us. We had to pay to do supports back in the day, and it cost us and our label of fortune. In the old days, you had to buy onto tours, in fact bands offered to buy onto our last tour and i said no i'm not charging a band i'd rather just let them do the shows because i know how hard it was if we can help a band get a few more people to their next gig that's what it's all really about what a legend that's fantastic that's awesome yeah good good on them
1: ah they've gone (laughs) even further up in my my estimations now yeah so i guess kind of we we normally close out with where have they taken you musically have have they or have they been so kind of core to your music that
0: So I don't know that they had an influence in terms of leading me into new styles of music because I was already listening to a lot of that kind of music anyway. I was listening to XFM and XFM was all those big indie rock bands, punky bands, grungy bands, that kind of stuff. The biggest influence that I think Feeder had on me from a music perspective is understanding the incredible energy that you can get from a really amazing live set and that's probably one of the biggest things that they've brought to my musical tastes good shout
1: yeah that's a that's a great shout and i think for those people who haven't experienced a gig where you've got people literally going up and down and they're being crowd surfing and all that stuff the atmosphere it creates is kind of weird because you just got so much noise and physical jostling, and it's quite an experience. You don't forget that kind of stuff. It's it's incredible. It's almost a primal thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah, so that's me. Awesome. How about you? You feel like they're an influence in some way on your tastes or just one of those bands that you loved at the time?
1: No, they were just. I mean, they were they were right down the middle of kind of indie pop music that I've I've always been hooked onto. So. They didn't do anything, anything new. They just did
0: extra, right? Which <laughs> I guess. is very much that's the feeder story, right? They're not innovative. They're just brilliant at what they do. Yeah, they can thrash out the
1: hits. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and uh, and, and I, I hope they can put out something that follows Tallulah in the same way that at the same level as that album because it was a lovely return
0: to form. It's one of those things where actually now, having listened to this, if they do a tour once things get back to bands being able to do tours, I will absolutely be looking to get tickets. Whereas I don't know that I would have done if if I hadn't listened to that album. So yeah, fingers yeah. crossed for a turn from feeder. Yeah, well I'm I'm off to listen to it again, I think. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, me too. Cool. Uh so if you want to chat to us about feeder, tell us why you love them. Tell us about where you've seen them, if you have. Uh, we are on social media. Come and talk to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are I Might Be Wrong UK on all of those platforms. Cool. Thanks for it. That's been a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it has. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Cheers, thanks for, uh Thanks for joining us, all of you out there. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.